it's good to have you here today, and I love the week of Thanksgiving, so just excited we get to step into that. It was awesome to dedicate some kids today, so um, we are studying the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's the second book in the New Testament, so if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23, and when you came in, you also got a, a bulletin. There's a pro, there's like an outline in there. If you want to follow along, that would be great, so uh, this week on Tuesday, um, a friend, actually, it's a guy I knew for about 18 months, right during my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, um, got a hold of me and he said, hey, I heard that you live in Iowa City, now I'm going to be in Iowa City, he's wondering if we, maybe we could have lunch or something like that. It was, it was a crazy week this week, and it's like, do I, don't I? And it's like, yeah, let's do this. Okay, so this guy's name is Dan, and he was a pilot. We met each other at a sporting goods store in Ames that I had the privilege of working at when I was a senior in high school. The owner of the store liked to hire guys that played high school sports from the surrounding communities, kind of to draw maybe people from your community or whatever. So it was a great place to work. I love sports. You got a deal on sporting goods, right? You got a discount. We sold a ton of stuff. And you got to work with some really fun people, including Dan. And so Dan was my assistant manager. And when uh, the boss would be gone, and sometimes during the evenings, it'd be kind of slow. There was usually three people on a shift. And so sometimes Dan and I like to play pranks on the third person we were working with. And so one way we would do that is our office sat um, where you could see the floor. You could watch and see if customers were coming, but they couldn't see you. It was kind of like one-way glass. And so like inevitably, Dan and I would get in the office, and there'd be our third teammate out at the desk, and we'd prank call him. Like, we'd call in on one line, and they'd answer the other line. Oh, sports page, you know, and you go, and like, so one of my friends that worked there knew nothing about tennis rackets. Not, not that I did either, but I knew that was like a weakness. So I'd call in and say, um, yeah, I have some questions about tennis rackets, you know, and oh, yes, sir, you know, and like, be the only one on the floor. And so you'd see him take the phone over to the tennis rack section and be reading the information off the tags, you know, like, what tension do your strings usually come with, and what grip sizes do you have in the rod labor, you know, like, whatever. They're ever trying to answer all these questions and then sweating. Well, you don't know much about tennis rackets, do you? It doesn't seem like it, you know. And, well, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. And then we'd say, hey, look in the office. And there, you know, we'd be waving at him and stop it, you know. So that, that was the kind of guy Dan was. Just a ton of fun to be with. So it's like, yeah, let's go. And it was really fun. I don't know if you've had, he was a, he was a Christian. Um, he was a pilot even in that time. And what he's done for the last 25 years of his life is he's flown planes. He's lived in Venezuela and Ecuador. And there's a group called Missionary Aviation Fellowship where his company just flies missionaries, global workers, relief workers all over the place. Like he was just telling me stories of they land in jungles, they land on rivers, they land on these grass strips. And one time there was a kidnapping and they had to go get a guy out of a village. And the village met them like in war paint and chants and guns. I mean, just had some fun stories. He's that kind of guy. So as we were talking, it's like, so what brought you to Iowa City? Why are you here? And he, well, I just had to swing by the hospital. And he kind of brushed by it. I go, wait a minute, what like, would you go to the hospital for? And um, apparently 10 years ago, he, since he's a pilot, he has to have some thorough health exams every time he's back in the States. And so he had a swallowing issue about 10 years ago. And so they, he said, I'm over that. But they do a scope on me every time I'm back to just make sure the esophagus issue is taken care of. And as they were exploring deeper than they normally do, they found a malignant tumor that's been tucked in right next to my pancreas. So it's not pancreatic cancer, but it's still a tumor that they're going to pull out, God willing, tomorrow. Okay, So 
wow, it's like, man, I'm glad I said yes to this. You know, just to kind of be there and to hear his story and, and pray with him. But it reminded me of today's passage because if you were to look at Dan, I mean, he's still, like however many years later, just really fit, really energetic, really, you know, passionate, funny. You would never guess, oh, I bet this guy's got cancer, you know. And so, but it took that probe to discover it. I'm just very thankful that a routine, you know, exam found this tumor. And again, they think they can get in as uninvasively as possible and get that thing out tomorrow. So that's, that's awesome. But as you look at today's passage, it's going to be kind of a tricky one because what Jesus is going to be trying to do is the same thing, uh, but in a different context. Like Jesus is going to be talking to some people that thought they were really religious. And he's going to be trying to show them that they're really not connecting with God. And that's a hard one because these guys are going to think they got it down. They got all the rules. They got all the rituals. They're, they're, they think they're tight with God. And bottom line, they're going to hear Jesus say, you're, you're not even close to God right now. So it's not going to be an easy message to deliver. And, and to top it off, these are some people that kind of already hate Jesus, all right? And so these people are called the Pharisees. And what I want you to watch for today as we look at this story is this is not just a history lesson. Like this passage is in the Bible for us today as well. And I want to say especially those of us that have been in church longer. Like the longer you're in church, the longer you start following Jesus, just trust me, you're going to have some tendencies that the Pharisees had. Like if you know the Bible and you know whenever a Pharisee pops up, you know that's Jesus' enemy. You're going to go, those a bunch of morons. They, don't know what, they didn't know what they were doing. But if you look at, a, look at those morons, the Pharisees, you're going to see some of your, your own tendencies in there as well. So that's my prayer this morning is that we'll allow Jesus not just to expose the hearts of the Pharisees, but we have to be humble enough this morning to let Jesus expose our hearts too, okay? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this. So Jesus, I thank you that you're here with us right now, and I thank you that you want these words to come out way clearly, even more clearly than I do. And so I pray that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word, um, and that you, just like you're an amazing doctor, that you would expose our hearts, that you would show every person in this room, every person watching live stream, to show us the true condition of our hearts today. And I thank you, bottom line, the punchline this morning is as much garbage and crud as we're going to see in our hearts, you still love us and you love our hearts. So teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's start reading. If you have your Bible again, Mark 7, verse 1 is where we'll start. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of Jesus' disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Okay, so this is an interesting chapter. If you have been following us through the Gospel of Mark, usually Mark just pops along. The word immediately is in the Gospel of Mark 44 times. Like, he just moves, 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 moves. But there's five times where Mark's going to slow down and show a, a, a dialogue between Jesus and somebody else, where Jesus is going to teach something very important. And so we're, we're in one of those sections right here. 
And what Jesus is going to try to be doing is showing these Pharisees, these religious leaders, that their hearts are actually in a dangerous spot, that, that it's not good to have a religious heart. What you want to have is a righteous heart. You don't want to be a rule follower. You want to be a Jesus follower. And so even though these guys are kind of hostile to Jesus, Jesus still loves these guys. He doesn't just leave them. He doesn't just nuke them, right? He's going to engage them. And so he's going to show them there's four things, four warning signs that your heart could be a religious heart, not a righteous heart. First is that your heart would be very critical and condemning. If you have a religious heart, you can be very critical and condemning. So what Jesus has just done, like just in the chapter before this, he's walked on, on massive waves in the middle of a storm to be with his disciples. And when he got to shore, huge crowds of people gathered around him and he healed them. If you back up just a little bit, he's just fed 5,000 people. If you back up a little bit before that, he raised a dead girl to life, okay? So now here come these Pharisees. It's like round two. I mean, there's probably a part of Jesus like, for, hey, Jesus, good job. Like, hey, we've noticed, like, you're healing, you're feeding 5,000, we heard you walked on the water, it's pretty cool, you know? We disagree with you, but hey, that's pretty cool. But no, he didn't get any of that. Like, the first thing, they come in right away with criticism. In fact, I mean, they're kind of nitpicking here. Some of his disciples were eating with unclean hands, verse 1 says. Not like all of them, even just, ah, John and Peter, you know, just like, so they're really looking to catch Jesus doing stuff wrong. They're really critical. And so the same is true in our hearts that when we tend to be more religious, and we'll explain that as we keep going, is that your heart will tend to be really critical. And let me, let me just ask you, I mean, just in the last week or two, you know, who are the people you tend to be just very critical of? Like sometimes it can happen in a marriage that you can be really acquainted with everything your spouse is doing wrong and kind of justifying your own. Yeah? Or if you're a parent, like, oh, my kids, man, I was never like that. It's like, oh, yeah, let's talk to your parents. It's not like you were some perfect little angel, you know, or it could be the people you work with or the people in your neighborhood, people you go to school with. Like, just, like, you've got your list, like the people you're, you're good with, but the people you just, man, you just critical of them. That's, that's an overflow of a righteous, I mean, a religious heart, okay? So watch, watch for that. Then we go on. The second thing is that a religious heart is going to have an emphasis on rules and rituals, that the focus is going to be on Rules and rituals, okay? So, like, for example, the hand-washing is the issue here. What in the world is up with the hand-washing? Is it like, okay, Mary, why didn't you teach Jesus to wash his hands better? Like, why is Jesus not a hand-washer? Like, our new parents in the audience here, like, teach your children to wash their hands. Like, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a ritual that these guys created. And so let me try to explain it. Because um, uh, this is not in the Old Testament. This, this law, this is not a law that God gave us, that this is a law that they added to what God gave us, okay? So in the Old Testament, God communicated to his people. He said, like, I'm a holy God, and you will be my people. And if you're going to be my people, these are the ways that I would like you to live. I want you to live like I want you to live. That's, that will be your identity, that you will be holy as I am holy. You will be set apart from all the other peoples, because this is how I want you to live. And so there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. And what the Pharisees and the religious leaders did is they took those and they added to them. It's almost like the added rituals and rules were really meant to try. Maybe there was a noble side to it. We really want to make sure you don't violate God's laws, so we're going to add more just to make sure you don't even get close 
to the line, okay? And so the, the, the thing they were trying to avoid is this concept of being defiled before God, like before a holy God to be found to be sinful and cut off from God and just defiled would be the worst thing you could be. So, so do not defile yourself. And right here, the hand-washing went like this. Like, if you were out in the marketplace, if you were just out in public, and then you were going to have lunch, uh, what the Pharisees said you had to do was to go through a ceremonial washing. So it wasn't just that your hands weren't dirty. It was that your hands weren't defiled. Because you, when you were out about at Coral Ridge Mall, when you were at Hy-Vee, you might have bumped into a Gentile who, just by you being around them, would defile you. And so, because you're better than those Gentiles, because you're God's people and they're not. So um, just in case you inadvertently just brushed up against a Gentile, you better do this, this hand washing. And so, again, there, was, there were a couple of really unhealthy things being communicated from there. What, what you'll see in the rest of chapter 7 and throughout Jesus' life is there's no Jew-Gentile boundary here. Like, Jesus is like, I'm reaching out to everybody. Like, I don't have the good people and the bad people. Like, I just came for all of you, okay? So there's no, there's, God's not calling for that kind of, we're better than you, you defiled me, I better cleanse my hands from you. It's not, it's not that kind of thing, but that's the way these guys were, were treating this. And so, in fact, Jesus kind of challenged them, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the, to, and hold to the tradition of man. So whereas God would have you love one another, these guys are taking their rules and making it divide one another. Like, we're better than you, so uh, we are going to be separated from you. You defile me if I touch you, that kind of thing. So uh, it's just, they're going beyond critical. Now they're going to condemning the people around them. And so uh, Jesus said, you are adding to God's commandment, and you're adding to that with your own tradition, and that's not good. In fact, um, one of the documents that kind of compiled all the extra rules these guys were making up was, was a document called the Mishnah. And there's a statement in the Mishnah that says, if there's ever push comes to shove between one of our principles and a verse in the Old Testament, just go ahead and side with the Mishnah, because we're communicating that to you. We're explaining God's word to you. So just trust us. Just follow these principles. And again, Jesus is astonished at that. You do not, you know, override scripture with one of your own principles, because that's going to lead you to some horrible places. And that's exactly what he went and what he was talking about. But sometimes even today, we can do the same thing. Uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, lived 700 years before Jesus. And that was an issue then that God's people were adding to the rules and deciding who's cool and who's not. So you fast forward to Jesus' day, the same thing is happening. I know you can fast forward to our day, and the same thing's happening here as well. That you divide people by who they voted for, who they didn't vote for. You divide people by what they look like, what they wear, um, if you connect with them or not. Sometimes in church circles, you divide people by how they worship, or what kind of worship they like, or how they study the Bible, or what they do in their community groups. Do they have a meal or not? You know, do they, how do they study the Bible? Is it inductively or discovery Bible method? You know, just, we can just look for all kinds of ways, again, and just avoiding just the clear and simple principles from God, and that's a warning sign. Okay, the third warning sign is that that can lead us to blind and blatant hypocrisy. And Jesus, you know, he goes on, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, 
And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. We'll get back to that. That's a big statement. Uh, Verse 11. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So now he's going to bring them another example. He doesn't debate with them about hand-washing. He says, you're making principles that you say are more important than God's word. Let me give you a huge example of how you're doing that. One of the clearest teachings in the Old Testament that God wanted for his people is that you honor your father and mother. And in the civil government that God established, the death penalty was in there. Do not apply that today. Okay, parents, going home. Don't dangle that verse and threaten your kids to obedience today. That's not, that's not for today. But, but when, when the, the nation of Israel was, was living by the laws that God gave, that is how, how, important, how important it was to honor father and mother. It was a huge one to God. And so God is saying, now this thing, Corbin, we don't have that today. I don't understand what that is. So basically, the, the, one of the extra laws these guys made was that you could look at all of your income, all of your resources, and just designate it as Corbin, which means it's God's. And so you could, if you did that, you could go to your parents and go, I would really love to support you and help you in your older age, and I know you're not able to work anymore. There was no Social Security, no, you know, in that day. Love to help you, but everything I got is Corbin. Sorry, you know. And so in the meantime, what they could do with Corbin is pretty much whatever they wanted. Well, it's God's, and God wants me to have this chariot, or God wants me to have new clothes, or God wants me to have a bigger house. It was an incredibly um, selfish, it was, it was clearly a, a defiance of what God intended, right? That's what's going on here. And so he's just pointing them out. You guys are so blind that you're missing one of the hugest commands, one of the greatest things on the heart of God is that a family would care, that one generation would care for the other generation. How could you do, do that? And so it was such a clear violation um, of, what, of, what, of what God was asking them to do. And so, again, we don't want to just look back at them, like, yeah, those Pharisees, man, they are so bad. Like, so just think of the ways we do that, too. Like, let's go back to the ways we divide people up, maybe by who they voted for, maybe by whatever. Just pick your, you've got your cool and not cool list. So uh, how you treat people on the not cool list um, is still, how that needs to be guided is not by your principles of who you think is good or not or who deserves your love and respect and who does not. Like, what overrides all that is God's command to love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's the command. But yet I look, you know, just to be blunt, um, a couple times people will flag this kind of thing to me. Hey, do you, I don't, I'm not a big Facebook guy. I'm not a big, I don't have a lot of time for that, to be honest. But like, but like sometimes I'll hear like, hey, did you see so-and-so and so-and-so um, had a disagreement on, on Facebook? And oh gosh, can I, can I just be honest? It's usually about something political. And uh, two Christians, like, in the way they communicate, the way they talk, it just breaks your heart. It's like, are you serious? Are you serious? And I'm not just pointing at that one. We've all got them. Like, there's different things we can think because this is so important. It's certainly important to God. That gives me free reign to just totally disrespect or gossip about or slander people that don't agree with me, even if they're Christians. And even if we do it on a public forum like Facebook. Like, we got the same issues, you guys. And Jesus says, watch out, because when you set up your little rules, you're just going to be 
blind to your own hypocrisy. It's just going to be blatant, and everybody can see it except you. So watch out for that. And the last one, this is the, this is the zinger, is, is that a fourth warning sign of a religious heart is that you're going to be distant from God. Jesus said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, Jesus saying that to the Pharisees in that day would have been a shocker because everybody in his culture assumed the Pharisees, man, they are close to God. Man, they know all the rules. They are so good. They could even make up rules, you guys. Like they must be so tight with God and so close with God. And God's verdict on them is, I don't even, I don't even know you. Like our hearts are so far apart. We are so not on the same page that the more religious you are, the more you do your rituals, the more you're into condemning and judging everybody else because you've got it down, then you are so far from where God is. Your hearts are not on, on the same page. And so um, what an indictment that um, our heart is far from God. And so here's the most astonishing part of this morning, okay? It's going to get a little worse, but we're starting to turn a corner, okay? So here's the part of the corner that is amazing to me that in spite of the fact that our hearts tend to be religious hearts, that we tend to do these things, God cares that there's distance between us, you know? Like if I was God and I saw like people treating me like that, and I'd be like, see ya, like good luck. Good luck making it through eternity without me. Like just, there'd be a part of me if I was God, it might just kind of be like that, right? So, but God notices that our hearts are far apart and he he cares about that. Let me just ask you, like especially uh, if you're new today, you're kind of in the deep end of the pool, so I'm praying for you, okay? But if you've been around church for a while, uh, let me just ask you about your heart for a second. Let's, let's take that scope, you know, Jesus doing check on your heart. Like, would you say your heart is close to God? What would you look for? Like, what would your gauges be? Is your heart close to God? I think sometimes answering that, we're afraid to in, inject a little emotion into that. Let me just do that for a little bit. Like, uh, when's the last time you just wept before God, like for joy? Like, God, how how could you be so good to me? Or, or when's the last time you were just reading the Bible and something hit you from what you were reading and you just got goosebumps? Like, God, that's amazing. Or when's the last time um, you were just talking to somebody and somebody's just telling you, a story of what God's been doing in their life. And it just, got, it just fired you up. Um, I was on a walk the other day, um, and a guy was just telling me about a couple hard things that happened in his family and then something pretty cool. But the theme I just felt like God was saying to me is like, God, just tell this guy, look how faithful I've been. And I just, we just stopped the walk and said, do you just see the connection here? He said, God has been really faithful. Isn't that awesome? Like, so, but when's the last time your heart was really engaged with what you say you believe. It's your heart far from God. Don't be afraid. Like, and if it's not, I just we'll talk a little bit more about this, but but that could be just a symptom of a religious heart. That for you, God is a bunch of rules and it's a bunch of rituals. And I go to church, check, I pray every once in a while, check, I give to a Thanksgiving offering, check. I, you know, but is your is your heart engaged? And what's amazing to me, it's, here's the part that's going to get just a little worse, okay? Actually, a lot worse. So I'm just trying to soften it a little bit. So after all this conversation with the, with the Pharisees, Jesus pulls back 
He's just with the disciples, and they're pounding with questions. Like, Jesus, what's this whole defile thing about? Like, are we, can we be defiled by the stuff around us? Should we be careful? Should we follow all the rules so that we're not polluted by anything out there, and it'll cut us off from God? And Jesus said, you know what? The bigger deal isn't what's out there, but the biggest deal is what's in here. Look at verse 20. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes. Brace yourself. This is, this is just like Jesus' day heart. This is, this is my heart, you guys. You can see if you think it's your heart too. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus is saying, your greatest danger isn't what's out there. Your greatest danger isn't who's president or who isn't. Your greatest danger isn't everybody around you is all messing up, and I better say the greatest danger we have is our own hearts, okay? And let me just follow that up with something profoundly awesome is that in spite of the fact that your heart is that disgusting to a holy God, your, your holy God is still moving toward you. He still loves that heart. That, that is the part of God that I just do not understand. Why? Why would he love us? Why would he want our hearts to be close to him if that's the way our hearts really look, right? And so um, that's why Jesus came. You know, Jesus came, the first thing he spoke in the Gospel of Mark is clear back in chapter 1, verse 14. It says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, that just means good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And saying the time, I'm, that's good, I gotta, yeah, that's it. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, that's astonishing. That Jesus knows what our hearts are like. That that's why Jesus came. And the good news is that God is offering us a new heart. God is offering us an exchange. God is offering us a heart transplant. That he sees our heart. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, did not sin, died on the cross, rose again from the dead to prove that he has power over sin and death. And now offers us the opportunity to repent. That means just square up, acknowledge, confess, that my sin is garbage, or my heart is just full of sin and garbage. My, my heart is malignant. My heart is killing me. It's defiling me from God, and it's cutting me. It's just doing, wreaking havoc in the relationships in my life. The problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. I repent of that. I admit that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need you to forgive me, and I need you to give me a new heart. That's the invitation that, that God is giving us. So that's why just setting up a bunch of rules and being religious is so crucial. You can't, you can't put out the fire that is raging in your heart by just following a few rules. It'd be like sending you into a forest fire with a little eyedropper. Good luck putting that thing out. But that's you and your little rules and religion trying to deal with the sin in your heart, right? That'd be like my friend getting a diagnosis. You got a malignant tumor next to your pancreas. He goes, oh, just hand me some Perel. Like, just give me some hand sanitizer. 
There, is that where my pancreas is? Wherever it is. Like, just rub it and go, okay, good to go. Good to go. You guys, that's stupid. And it's the same way. Do not just go through these little Mickey Mouse religious routines. You need a complete heart transfer, transaction. Just give Jesus your sin and let him forgive you and give you a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That's the only way you can cleanse your heart, is by receiving Jesus and what he has done for you. He lived a perfect life. He did not sin. And he offers you his righteousness in exchange for your sin and your just crappy heart. I heard a, there's a preacher I've been listening to. Doug Fern turned me on to him. He's another pastor, H.B. Charles. And I loved how he explains the gospel like this, that God treated Jesus as if he committed all your sins so that he could treat you as if you did all the good things Jesus did. Isn't that amazing? Like, treated Jesus like he did all the sin you've done, all the wrong things you've ever done, so that God could treat you as if you did all the good things Jesus did. That's that's astonishing, and that's the gospel. And that may take you a while to get your head around, because there's still a part of you that's going to be proud and say, no, I want to earn this, or that doesn't seem right. I should do something to help out in this, and you just can't. The separation is so far from a holy God to our sinful hearts that you needed to be rescued. You needed to be saved. That's why something as drastic as the Holy Son of God coming to earth and dying on a cross had to happen. It was the only solution for our hearts. And again, what should override this whole morning is why in the world would God love us to that extent? Why? We, we do not deserve that. The gospel is that you are far more sinful than you would even dare to think about, but you are far more loved than you would ever dream to be loved. That's the essence of the gospel. And so God wants to give you a new heart. Let me just summarize it this way. Um, because it could be this morning that um, this is the first time you ever heard that. Like some of you may have thought, well, I thought being religious was the ticket. Like I thought God just wanted me to be religious and then I'm saved or I'm, I know him. And it's like, no, you can't do anything. And so if you're hearing that for the first time, man, I'd love to pray with you afterwards or ask the friend that brought you or there's pastors here or leaders wearing those green tags or set up an appointment, but that's the essence of the gospel. You can't save yourself. Religion doesn't save you, okay? So if you've never heard that before, that, that's, that strikes us all new at some time, but you need to get after that, okay? Don't play games with this. Jesus offers to die, has died for your sins and offers to forgive you and give you new life, okay? But even if you, you knew that before this morning, say, I remember when I first understood that and I asked Jesus to forgive me and he gave me, New life. And it's like, that's awesome. What you need to watch for is that your heart will still continue to slide back into the old mode. So you may know in your head, yeah, Jesus is Savior. And he, but there still may be elements in you that you're just trying to still earn. Man, I've got to be good enough. Or I've still got to. And so let's just paint a picture of two hearts as we wrap up. So here's what the old heart, again, looks like. The old heart is self-reliant. Like, I can do this. And it's proud look what I've accomplished and I'm going to look down on everybody else and I'm going to be critical of everybody else. And so, and if you're, if you're still living by that old heart, there's going to be a part of you that wants to hide your sin because it's going to, it's going to wreck the facade 
that you're good and look at all the good things you're doing. And so you can't really be open and share your struggles because even if you think you're getting there on your own, like with your own religion, your own rules and all of that, um, look what Jesus said is still spewing out of your heart. Like there has to be a part of you that still knows this isn't working. Like everybody around you knows this isn't working. But but even you and some of those nights you're not sleeping or something like, why am I still messed up? Like, why do I still keep offending people around me? Why, you know, so um, so watch that. And you'll hide your sin, but you won't admit it. You won't be open about your sin. So, and again, you're going to just crave approval from others. And so, if since we'll get into it in just a little bit, but like, you just got to keep impressing everybody. Everybody thinks you're so, you're so good or you're, you're so religious. And so that's, guys, that's the old heart, okay? That leads to hypocrisy and criticism and, distance from God and all of that. Here's the new heart. Here's how I describe the new heart. There's a confidence in the new heart because the confidence isn't in what I'm doing or how I'm performing, but the confidence is in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. So even if I'm having a crappy week, even if I've been bad with my kids this week and I've been angry and lost, like there's nothing shaky about my standing with God. I'm still his because my merit is what Jesus did for me. The only thing I have to hope in is that Jesus lived a righteous life. And now God sees me as if I did all the good things Jesus did, okay? There's a confidence there. There's a humility there that I'm not going to be all proud about what I achieved because I know the only way I know God is through Jesus. So when I encounter other people's sin, I'm not going to make a huge deal of theirs. I'm going to still make a huge deal of mine, and I'm going to be a lot more humble as I step in to help them with theirs, help them see who Jesus is. Yes, I'm going to be more aware of my sin than the sin of others. And there's going to be a dependence on Jesus, just a, uh, just a flat-out admission. Jesus, I can't do this. I can't be a good dad. I can't control my anger. I can't, you know, whatever it is. And so instead of hiding sin, there's going to be an acknowledgement of sin. God, I just need your help. And not just with God, here's to another level. You can be honest about your sin with other people, too. You don't have to hide it to... Keep up the facade that you got it down. You can just be real honest and say, this is my heart. And so I hope that we all have people in our lives. You can just be completely honest and not put on a show and say, I'm not hiding my sin. I, want, I need your help with my sin. Here's what I'm doing. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? And that's how we grow. That's how we get closer to Jesus. So um, let me just pray just to kind of wrap up our time. Again, thank you, you guys. You, you did jump into the deep end of the pool today. The, the Corbin and Pharisees and all that stuff. But Jesus, um, I pray this morning that what you want to come through loud and clear came through loud and clear, that you see our hearts. You're not impressed by our shows and everything we pretend. You can see what we're hiding. You can see what we're really like. And as ugly as that is, for whatever reason, you still love that heart. You still love my heart, and you died for my heart, and you offer me a new heart. And so, Jesus, would you give us the courage today to just be honest with you? Jesus, if there's people here that have never heard this before, who think their religion is saving them, God, just give them the humility to look for a new way, because this way isn't working. And, and Jesus, I, I, I pray that you would just spark in all of us, just a love for you, just a response of, of amazement and gratitude and astonishment for what you did for us. Why would you love someone like me? 
Jesus, you are amazing, and would you please just unleash your people, unleash your church to live with confidence, to live with humility, and to live in just utter dependence on you. And then would you do great things, God, through your church and your people. In Jesus' name, amen.